Welcome to The Healing Catalyst. I'm your host, Dr. Avanti Kumar Singh, and I know that Ayurveda can transform your life. How? Because it transformed mine. And the best part is, it's easier than you think. Your body has exactly what it needs to heal itself. All you need to do to enhance its healing power is to start practicing healthy routines, which I can teach you. In over 20 years of practicing both Western medicine and Eastern healing traditions, the most important thing I've learned is that healing is a journey we take together. So on this podcast, I'll be demystifying Ayurveda and other integrated medicine, showing how these simple, ancient practices are the keys to unlocking a healthy modern life. We are all healing catalysts because healing starts within. It starts with you and it starts right now. Let's get started. This is a Soulfire production. Episode number 27. Well, hello, hello, my beautiful friends. Wow, it's August and the summer is just flying by. And so much is happening in the world right now. In my own personal world, I'm planning to take a vacation with my family at the end of August just to rest and relax before we go back into the world in September. And then both my kids who have been home in Chicago since being plucked out of college when the pandemic closed down the world in March of 2020, well, they'll be leaving the nest again. My daughter Isha will be going back to college in California and my son Zane is planning to move out of Chicago and back to the Bay Area next month. And my husband Kanwar just returned back into his office a few days ago. So in my world, things are slowly returning to a sort of new normal as we all slowly transition back into the world, which brings me to the new intention for the month of August, heal through transition, because it feels like the transitions just keep coming and coming and coming. Even if we're returning to offices and schools, things seem to be changing daily, which is leading to a lot of anxiety and worry of not knowing what to expect next. I know I've really been feeling this as well. I'm feeling like just when I've got a plan of how to cope, of how to manage my stress through routines and diet and the tools of yoga, I hear some more new data or I read some news or read some studies and I start to doubt my instincts about how to boost my immunity and move toward balance and health. And so I thought we should maybe focus in on how to heal through transitions. Now, in Ayurveda, healing through transitions is something that we do at the change of seasons. We do this by allowing for some rest, by doing a reset of sorts. So I wanted to invite all of you to a special masterclass that I'm doing on Thursday, September 9th at 6 p.m. Central called the Energy Reset Masterclass. Now, during the masterclass, I'll be teaching you how to do an Ayurvedic mind-body-spirit cleanse from the comfort of your own home, which, like I said, is critical at this change of seasons to support your health. You'll learn the basics of an Ayurvedic cleanse, and I'll share tips to help you get the most out of the experience. I promise you this will be an experience that you don't want to miss. Make sure you sign up. There's a link in the show notes for you to do that. 
Now, healing through transitions in Ayurveda doesn't only mean transitions of seasons, but also transitions through life events and life stages as well. And so I thought that maybe we should talk about the healing through life events, the healing through the transition of going from a quarantine world back into a post-pandemic, co-pandemic, I'm not really sure what to call it, world that we're all sort of entering into right now. That's a big life event for most of us throughout the world. And one of the things that I have found is really helpful in this kind of healing through life events is self-compassion, which is why I was so incredibly excited to talk to Dr. Kristen Neff. Dr. Neff is currently an associate professor of educational psychology at the University of Texas at Austin. She is a pioneer in the field of self-compassion research. She actually is the one who created a scale to measure the construct almost 20 years ago. So she's way ahead of her time. In addition to writing numerous academic articles and book chapters on the topic, she's the author of two books. And her second book was just released in June a few months ago, which is called Fierce Self-Compassion, How Women Can Harness Kindness to Speak Up, Claim Their Power, and Thrive. Dr. Neff has also developed an evidence-supported training program called Mindful Self-Compassion, which is taught by thousands of teachers worldwide. In our conversation, Dr. Neff and I discuss what self-compassion is, the difference between tender and fierce self-compassion, and why we need both to support resilience in times of transition. I know that you'll find this conversation and the tools that we discuss so incredibly helpful as you reemerge with greater resilience into this world that we're going back into in September. Hello, Kristen. Thank you so much for joining me on my podcast. I am so delighted to have you and to meet you. I've read so much of your work and followed you for a while. So I'm really excited to be able to talk to you in person. Well, virtually anyway. Well, thank you. Thank you. And I'm all about healing. So I'm really happy to be on your podcast. (laughs) Well, thank you. I'm I'm excited to have you. So let's dive in. You know, um, you have written so much and done so much research. You are definitely, you know, part of my tribe of really trying to show some evidence for a lot of these practices that come from Eastern healing traditions, which I think is really important for a lot of people in Western culture. But it's also the scientific data that we need. So I really appreciate that about you. And you've just written a new book in June. It just came out, Fierce Self-Compassion, How Women Can Harness Kindness to Speak Up, Claim Their Power, and Thrive. I just love the title. It's so powerful. Um, And so, you know, I thought a good place to start would be really to talk about, let's let's start with self-compassion and how you define self-compassion, because I know that you have a little bit of a of an interesting take on it, too. Yeah, yeah. So in general, in the sciences, compassion is um, basically the motivation to alleviate suffering. And so self-compassion is just this motivation turned inward, the motivation to help ourselves. But it's more than just kindness. So so being kind, warm, supportive, that's, of course, course a huge part of self-compassion. But when I was trying to define and measure it, I realized that two of the elements needed to be there. The first is actually mindfulness. You know, a lot of people have heard about mindfulness, which is the ability to be present and be aware of whatever is happening in a kind of accepting way. 
Um, but of course, when it comes to our own suffering, or especially when that suffering comes from maybe things we don't like about ourselves, it can be really hard to be present with that. We we do one of two things. Either we sweep it under the rug, we avoid it, you know, we just don't go there. Or we do the opposite extreme when we run away with the drama of it and we like lose all perspective. So in order to, you know, metaphorically step outside of yourself and say, hey, you're having a hard time, what can I do to help? We need the balanced perspective of the mindfulness gives us. So that's really, you might say, the first step. And then also really key, and this is what makes it compassion and not pity, like self-pity, is other people. Right. So the word compassion in the Latin passion means to suffer. Come means with there's an inherent connectedness in compassion. That's why we like it when people have compassion for us. It's like, hey, I've been there as opposed to when they pity us, which is looking down on us. And so with self-compassion as well, we have to remember um, that it's not just us. Everyone's imperfect. Everyone leads an imperfect life. Yeah, some people struggle more than others, but the, the definition of being human is the fact that we suffer. And so when we remember that connectedness, it makes our uh, troubles a lot easier to bear. And so when you say self-connectedness, can you explain a little bit? Because I'm actually trying to process that in my mind. Is it that it's an understanding personally that you're connected to others or is it about taking people with you on that journey? Well, it's really a mindset. So typically what happens when we fail or make a mistake or we get that call from the doctor is irrationally, we think something has gone wrong. Like this isn't supposed to be happening. It's as if everyone else in the world is leading a normal, perfect life. And it's just me who's made this mistake, or it's just me who looks in the mirror and don't like what I see, or it's just me who's having this difficulty. It's irrational, but the mind tends to do it. We tend to feel isolated from others when um, we have trouble and we tend to think it's abnormal. Well, of course it's not, right? That, that's actually the definition of what it means to be human. So it, it's the mindset of just remembering it's not just us. So just to give you an example, you know, my son's autistic and I remember self-compassion helped me so much when he was younger because, you know, sometimes you start to feel isolated. Like, you know, why me? Why can't they have a normal child like everyone else? Um, but my self-compassion practice really helped recenter me. Yeah, well, first of all, a lot of kids have autism, but even those who don't, I mean, parenting is not about having a trouble-free time with our kids. All parents face some form of struggle or, or another because that's actually what it means to be a parent. So when I could make that reframe, it just made it a lot easier to deal with some of the challenges because, you know, when we feel abnormal and alone, not only are we hurting, you know, we also feel alone in that. It makes it that much worse. So that, that's a really important aspect of self-compassion is just remembering nothing's wrong with you and you aren't alone. Right. And I think that that is so important to tease out the difference between having pity for yourself or self-pity and sort of feeling like, oh, well, I don't have it as bad as somebody else because that can go down a whole nother path. That's right. Right. That's right. It's just all, all human suffering is worthy of the compassionate response. It's really that simple. Right. Right. That's, that's, I think, a really important point. And, you know, I also read that you you talk about the difference between tender versus fierce self-compassion. I mean, you just wrote a whole book on fierce self-compassion. What do yeah. you, I was trying to figure out what do you really mean by the, what's the difference between them? 
so, I mean, they're, they're both aspects of self-compassion. Um, so tender self-compassion is really the ability to accept ourselves as we are, to accept our painful emotions with kind of an open heart. Um, mm-hmm. It's more of a, a warm, gentle, nurturing quality. You might think the, the metaphor for this would be like a mother, you know, who loves her child unconditionally even when that child's screaming, right? And many people think of this as what compassion means, you know, the soft, the gentle, the nurturing. And although that is an important aspect, sometimes compassion can be fears, right? Sometimes in order to alleviate our suffering, we need to stand up. We need to speak up. We need to protect ourselves or we need to draw boundaries. We need to say no, or we need to say, I'd love to help you, but actually uh, this is important to me and I get to do something else. And also motivating change. I mean, it's it's not self-compassionate if you're in a behavior, if you're doing a behavior or you're in a situation that's unhealthy. And so this is the action-oriented side of compassion. And acceptance and action, they always, they always do this dance. You know, we accept ourselves, although we might take action in the world or in terms of our behaviors to do something differently. And if you have one without the other, it can be a problem. You might become complacent if you have no, if you take no action. But on the other hand, if there's no tenderness, you may become like just driving hard and striving. And, you know, you have to also accept that, hey, try as I may, I'm still going to be imperfect. So we need both. And balance is really key. It's like yin and yang. Yeah, I really see the tender versus the fierce as two sides of the same coin. And I can see how you need that balance. You know, it reminds me, you know, in Ayurveda, it's all about balance, right? We talk about these 10 opposite pairs of qualities, right? Hot and cold, mobile and stable, dry and oily, right? All of these different opposites that if you have too much of one, you are going to find that you're out of balance and that will start showing up as symptoms. So it's the same thing here that you're talking about. In my book, it's almost ad nauseum, balance, balance, balance. (laughs) Um, But it's interesting to see that our society almost ensures that we're going to be out of balance. And if you look at the world around us, you wonder why we're so out of balance, you know? Absolutely. Starts early. (laughs) Yeah, which is the perfect segue into what I want to talk to you about is also, you know, this idea of transitions, right? As we're, you know, this episode is going to go live in August. And, and, and the theme of the month for me is, you know, healing through transitions as yeah. all of us are transitioning back into, you know, maybe full-time, you know, uh, workplace in the office, being back in the office, our kids are going back to school, sort of coming out of this quarantine period into this, I don't know, I don't know that I should say post-COVID because it's not post-COVID, but into this new normal with COVID, right? Um, and there is so much anxiety and stress about how do I do this? You know, I'm having these conversations with my children who are, you know, college aged and my family members and patients and students of how do I take what I have sort of learned over the past year and noticed about myself mm-hmm. and take that back into the way things were, although I don't want to go back to that. And so Maybe what I'm asking is, you know, how do you how do you infuse that self-compassion with resilience or transition? Let's talk about that. Yeah, well, so self-compassion, the research shows very clearly, is probably one of the strongest and most stable sources of resilience we have available to us. It's actually designed for difficult moments like transitioning out of a pandemic. Actually, a lot of research showed that during the pandemic, 
self-compassionate people were more able to cope. They were less anxious about it. They were less likely to turn to food as a way to deal with their emotions. They were more able to see silver linings. So, so really, when we're with ourselves in a kind, supportive, you know, strong and yet loving manner when things are difficult, that's going to make us strong more able to get through. So as we transition out of it, I mean, I do think, it, it, again, it's all important. One thing I think some people haven't done enough of is really just to acknowledge the, the trauma of what we've experienced. I mean, we've been trying to cope with it and maybe we feel overwhelmed by it, but just taking a moment to say, wow, that was really hard and kind of like, good job for getting through it, you know? Um, and, but just holding the, the pain of it. Um, but also again, there have been silver linings for a lot of people. I think they realize they don't need to go into work as much or that their time with their family is really important. And, and um, I do think, Opening to everything, including the difficulties, will allow us to be more able to see the gifts of what we experience. And then hopefully that can translate into wisdom going forward. You know, and again, it, we, we need balance. We need to take action. We don't want to just be stuck at home, even if you liked it. Right. You know, there is there is a reason we we meet people in person and there. You know, we, we do need to get out there in the world again but hopefully not to the extent where we forget our ability just to slow down and maybe just um, uh, spend a little more time just being, which was, which was actually one of the gifts of the pandemic is it really slowed us down. Right. So what would you say are, what would be some of your tips for really um, practicing self-compassion and maybe this balance of the fierce versus the tender uh, yeah. self-compassion as we transition back into whatever our personal new normal is. Yes. So the quintessential self-compassion question is, what do I need, right? What do I need to alleviate my suffering? What do I need to be healthy and well, to heal, to thrive? Um, and just pausing that question. And by the way, no one from the outside can tell you the answer to that question. It's your own wisdom. But most of us don't even stop to ask the question. We just jump through the hoops or, you know, society tells us we need to do this or employers tell us this. But actually taking the time to say, well, what do I need? Do I need to grieve? Maybe you lost someone during the pandemic. Maybe you actually need to grieve. Maybe you need to transition more slowly. Actually, maybe what you need is just to take some action and get out there in the world more. And, you know, again, no one can tell you from the outside what's right for you. Um, but being willing to ask yourself the question and really support yourself regardless of the answer without criticizing yourself, without judging yourself, oh, I should be doing differently or you know, other people handled it better than I did. You know, we all do the best we can and we all want to do the best we can. How can we support ourselves with encouragement, warmth, acceptance, a kick in the butt if we need it, you know, to, um, to do what we need to to be well and happy? It's it's really a process. It's not like a destination. It's a way of being. It's a way of approaching every moment yeah, in your day. Absolutely. So is there a practice that you have, a personal practice that helps you sort of tune into this idea of self-compassion and something that you do every day? Yeah. So I have a lot of practices. The last 10 years have been really devoted to finding concrete, practical ways, exercises, meditations, short practices to do in daily life. Um, that's actually part of what was called the Mindful Self-Compassion Program. But a couple that I use all the time, um, one is, uh, first of all, touch. 
What we know is that touch is one of the most surefire communicators of care because it's, it's, we evolved that way, right? Infants, way before they have language, parents use touch to communicate care and safety. So just, you know, when anything, anything happens difficult, putting your hand on your heart, for instance, or, you know, hands on your face or touching yourself in some supportive way, it actually changes your physiology. It activates parasympathetic, decreases sympathetic activity. And that's a really easy way to support yourself and to kind of remind yourself of your own care. And then the other thing is what we call the self-compassion break, which is basically just intentionally calling in the three components of self-compassion. It's kind of like the ingredients you need to bake bread. You need First, you need to start with mindfulness, remembering, kind of tuning in, becoming aware of the fact that you're struggling in some way. And that may, however you're struggling, maybe you're feeling anxious, maybe you're feeling confused, maybe you're feeling burnt out. So wow, this is hard, right? And reminding yourself that there's nothing wrong with this. It's not abnormal. You aren't alone. You know, this is part of life. And then some words of kindness and support. You know, it's warmth, um, care, I'm here for you. And by the way, you can either talk to yourself directly or you can use eye to eye, or you can imagine talking to someone else and turning it around, or you can imagine a compassionate person talking to you. There's really no one right way to do it, but you wanna use some words of compassion and support uh, just in the moment. And so that's after a while that becomes habit. It's like, oh yeah, I need to take a break. I need a self-compassion break. <laughs> and the thing that reminds you is suffering, pain, annoyance, whatever, any difficult emotion coming up, that's the time to practice self-compassion. Yeah, you know, that's actually so important that, you know, when the feeling of suffering, however subtle it is or however obvious it shows up, that's a reminder to take a break. It's what I teach, which is anytime you're not feeling, something's feeling off, whether it's subtle, you know, you have a little bit of a headache or you have a migraine headache, that is a signal to you to stop for a moment and reassess what is going on and, and take, take some time to take an inventory, take a pause. And you're saying the exact same thing. I love that there's so many synchronicities. This is why I absolutely love about Ayurveda is that every time I talk to someone, um, doesn't matter what field of study they're in, there's always some connection to an Ayurvedic practice because Ayurveda is so old. It's so old. Yeah, I mean, none of this is new, right? Certainly, I didn't invent anything. I'm just maybe repackaging a little bit the way to talk about it, but these are just ancient truths. Exactly. And it's so beautiful, again, that you can be doing research on self-compassion specifically, and then we can come back to Ayurvedic principles. It's just... I. It makes me so happy and so excited. But um, yeah, so I think I think that's so important that when you have this feeling of suffering or pain, to take a break, to take a self-compassion break and, and do these exercises. I think that's beautiful and it's so simple. And just pause for a moment. Yeah, exactly. And I take 30 seconds. Yeah. So there's another thing that's really been interesting to me lately. You know, in the past few weeks, as the world has opened up. You know, everybody's back on social media, posting pictures, talking about events that they're going to or meetings or, you know, my husband just started back in his office a few days ago um, and was pretty stressed out. He's a pretty easygoing guy. But after not being in the office and doing everything remotely for 17 months, it's it's like you have to rewire your brain to doing this. 
And so, you know, I think it's, it is really hard sometimes to have self-compassion in a world that is so um, social, but it's all, everything is out there all the time. You know, you can compare yourself to everybody else all the time. And so, you know, even though you might want to have this fierce self-compassion of saying, no, you know what, I'm not ready for that, or this is how I need to do things, right? To have that self-compassion. Then you see what everyone else is doing and you're like, wait, is there something wrong with me that I'm not ready to just go back into everything and go to events or how do you, what are some things that you could tell us about that and how to, how to deal with that? Yeah. So, well, luckily one of the most um, consistent findings of the research is that self-compassion increases authenticity. Right. In other words, um, unlike self-esteem, self-esteem is often contingent. It's not contingent on approval. It's contingent on success. You know, if people don't like you or you don't succeed or you fail, your self-esteem goes out the window. That's actually precisely where self-compassion steps in. And so often what happens with social media is our our self-esteem gets triggered. Unfortunately, social media really enhances and exacerbates social comparison, which is a big cause of suffering. And so, you know, to the extent we can really get our sense of worth, not from being special and above average, simply because we're a flawed human being and we're intrinsically worthy of care and kindness, then we're a little less susceptible to those influences on social media. It's like instead of putting our eggs in the self-esteem basket, <laughs> we like we, we, we ground ourselves in this unconditional self-worth of, of compassion. But I like to call it, you know, just being a compassionate mess. You can still be a mess. Uh, your goal is just to be a compassionate mess, not to necessarily get it all right. But as much as possible, you try to be as warm, supportive um, and kind to yourself as possible. And that will also help you be authentic and make choices to the extent you can. That are right for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's such a good point. You know that this idea of self-esteem versus self-compassion. Again, it's the difference between comparing yourself to others and how does that end up making you feel? Right. Yes. So I'm better than them. Well, I'm just as good as them. Oh, I'm having just as an easy time going back into this new normal as they are, whoever they are, right? (laughs) Um, Versus even looking at social media, but then saying, that's great that they're able to do that. Now, let me check in with myself about what I need. Right. And also realizing, of course, that a lot of what's on social media isn't authentic, right? People always post the best pictures. They always post the good stuff. It's not really a reflection of reality, which is always good to remember as well. Yeah, exactly. Um, so tell me a little bit about, about your new book and, you know, that process of writing it. Why did you decide to write this, this another book on self-compassion and specifically on fierce self-compassion? Yeah. And also specifically for women. But well, part of it actually was spurred by the Me Too movement, you know, which people seem to have forgotten about already. But all those issues are still there. Right. Um, and seeing how part of what happened. You know, it's, it's kind of striking that why did it take so long for women to stand up and say, no, I mean, there's a lot of reasons it's not our fault, but that we've been socialized to just sweep things under the rug. Oh, that's just kind of the way men are. And this rising up of the Me Too movement, I see as a, a fierce self-compassion movement as women say, you know, no more, it's not okay, we aren't going to accept this. 
but also thinking about all the socialization against, for instance, women's anger. And it's partly a personal journey because I struggle with anger. You might think because I'm a self-compassion and mindfulness teacher that I'm never angry, but that's not the case, right? I actually struggle with anger. And my own journey of, I used to feel kind of ashamed about it and it was something that I had to get over. And then I realized this is a gift. It's kind of like, you know, the goddess Kali. It's like, there's a lot of power there. Now, yes, you don't want to hurt people and you don't want to like be, you know, reckless about it. But there's a lot of power and energy and focus uh, in anger. And anger, like Kali, what she cuts away is illusion, right? The illusion of separation that can be a real force for good, that mama bear energy um, that arises when we're protecting others and that we can also use it to protect ourselves. And so I wrote this book largely to help um, just talk about some of this gender role socialization, how it inhibits us. Um, how women, like for, for instance, you might think women have more self-compassion than men because compassion is part of the female gender role. Uh, it's not the case because for women, it's compassion for others, but not oneself. We have all these norms of being self-sacrificing, whereas men feel actually more entitled to meet their own needs. So men have more self-compassion than women do, which is kind of ironic. Oh, that is and so, Yeah. And so, you know, again, trying to unpack, well, why is that? And so helping um really through concrete practices develop this side of herself that's been suppressed and, and, and part of the big thing is other people like self-sacrificing women they don't like fierce women they don't like powerful women so we have to kind of be less reliant on other people's approval and say i'm sorry if you don't like you if you don't like me i like myself and i'm going to be my authentic whole self and so it's it combines some of my interests in uh, gender equality, also social activism. It's not okay that we're just, you know, it's not enough for us to be health, healthy and well as individuals when the world's going to hell in a handbasket. You know, climate change, racism, there's so many things that need to be addressed that I really felt that this emphasis on the fear side of self-compassion was really necessary. I think it's such an important point that men are actually more self-compassionate because, you know, I have my husband and my son and um, we talk about these types of things a lot at home. And, you know, there are many times when they, when I will say to them that you're not being very kind to yourself, but actually I'm going to have to rethink that because I think they yeah. actually probably know a little more about being kind to themselves than I do. Yeah. It's, it's not so much that men are like super warm and supportive. It's just that women are so self-sacrificing. Yeah. So men feel that their needs are worthy of being met naturally, because just when you're born a man, you're entitled to it, right? Women, they feel like their needs aren't as important as those of others. And yet 85% of the people who come to my workshops are women mm. because women, compassion is part of the female gender role. So it's kind of ironic that women understand the power of compassion in some ways more than men do, right? Because women are actually more compassionate to others on, on average than, women, than men are. But turning it inward because of our socialization is more challenging. You know, of course, people are different, how they are raised. There's a lot of individual differences. But if, if you look at, I'm going to say the P word, if you look at patriarchy, mm -hmm. there's a reason women are socialized to meet everyone's needs and not their own. And there's a reason women are socialized not to get angry or to speak up too much because it really served the system for us to be that way. No, absolutely. You know? And, and you know, quite honestly, I think that probably in this pandemic, 
that has increased a lot for a lot of women. You know, just the amount of responsibility that was then put onto them. Yeah, women were the ones who basically still they still work, but they took on way more, a lot more of the childcare that Ben did. Right. So women were really set back. Right. And so as we go back into the workplace, but I think we're going to need to keep all these issues in the forefront. There are so many thoughts going through my head of I'm going to have to really reflect on this after we end our talk today. So thank you for that. I wanted to ask you a couple of speed round questions, if that's okay. I love doing this at the end of my episodes because I think it's a great way for people to get to know you in a little bit of a different way. Would that be okay with you? Sure. Okay. Okay. Wonderful. What is one myth about self-compassion that we need to change? Uh, The number one myth is that it will undermine your motivation. People think it's going to make them complacent or less likely to work hard. It's the exact opposite. It enhances motivation because it makes you less afraid of failure, more able to learn from your mistakes. Um, And again, it motivates with encouragement as opposed to harsh self-judgment, which makes you less anxious and actually more able to sustain your vision for the changes you want to make. Amazing. What is something that people often get wrong about you? <laughs> well, maybe they, they, they think I have it all together. <laughs> I don't. I'm a mess like everyone else. Just because I've been doing this for almost 30 years doesn't mean I'm still not a mess. But I'm a compassionate mess. So I can say that much for myself. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's like people who meet me, they're like, you must be so balanced. I'm like, nope, that's exactly not. <laughs> case. And actually, you know, it goes back to that. We teach what we need to learn. That's right. (laughs) um, What is something that most people don't know about you? I have a, an autistic son and actually made a documentary about him called the horse boy. Um, And so some people don't realize that that's me, the same person, because I'm more known for my self-compassion work, but I kind of have two sides for my, to myself, one in the autism world and one in the self-compassion world. Oh, amazing. Um, not everyone puts those two things together. Amazing. We'll we'll make sure that we link that in the show notes so that people can check it out. What book is on your nightstand right now? What are you reading? Oh, b- beside my own book, um, <laughs> I, um, All the Single Ladies by Rebecca Traster. Okay. And she talks about like, you know, how the, this, this, because um, I mean, I actually happen to be single right now. Mm-hmm. And the, the whole idea of how, for his, throughout history, women have been less valued when they're single. Like that, she need, that women need a man; they need a partner to be whole and complete. Mm-hmm. And it kind of unpacks all those myths. Uh, amazing! I'll have to check it out. Here's my last question. You know, if I offer up the phrase to catalyze healing, what comes up for you? Open your heart to yourself. Mm-hmm. The heart is the mechanism of transformation, um, and you know, even if it's just opening your heart up a little bit to the fact that you can't open your heart up, it'll start the process, mm-hmm. right? It's just that little turn with warmth of, ah, oh, you know, that's hard. It's all you need to do. And then the whole process will start to unfold. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Kristen. It was so wonderful to have you on my podcast. If you love this podcast, and I so hope you did, please subscribe. That way you'll get real-time updates anytime I post a new episode. And if you're feeling really inspired, please leave a review so that others can find this podcast more easily. If you want to learn more, visit me on the interwebs 
at avantikumarsingh.com. And you can subscribe to my newsletter, where I send exclusive invites to my events, special announcements, and give you more self-healing tools and tips. And if you want to hang out even more with me, I spend most of my time on Instagram. You can find me at Avanti Kumar Singh, and we can connect more there. Until next time, remember, with the right catalyst, you have the power to activate your own healing, because healing starts within.